Hey there, people. Dave Morales here. Welcome back to our little experiment here at Tap Den. I'm having fun with these, and I hope you are too. Today's installment is a solid chat with the brewer and co-founder of Stone's Throw Brewery in the haven so fair of our little burg of Bellingham, Tony Luciano. Uh, he threw me a few curveballs with this one, some surprises and some well-articulated thoughts on brewing and the industry. And while I know I talked last time about stretching these out a little more, this talk was pretty down and dirty. We just sat down for a little over an hour, and for the most part, you'll pretty much hear it as it went down. But first, today's Tap Trail conversation is brought to you by Hoppus Real Estate, specializing in Whatcom's core neighborhoods, understanding the wants, and fulfilling the needs with community, craft, and comfort in mind. Located at 1012 DuPont Street, across from the Lettered Streets Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. So let's get to it. Uh, but really quick, uh, the dork in me, I, I have to say, for those of you with critical audio ears, I had a little bit of a microphone issue that I didn't pick up on until the recording was all done. It's nothing earth-shattering, but I notice it. And if you do, I just want you to know that I do too. So I will make sure and double-check that next time. All right, here we go. Questions. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, thanks for coming. Yeah, by the way, no problem. Uh, appreciate. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, you know, everybody's busy. Um, uh, but uh, just, I guess, let's just start off about with a little bit of your brewing history. When did you start brewing, and how did you, how did you get into it? So I'll give you the, the long version. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I moved to Bellingham in the uh, fall, summer, late summer '98. Mm -hmm. and to go Me to too. Western. Yeah, I moved here. So I was an exchange student from Ohio, that foreign, faraway place, <laughs> and uh, put my stuff in the closet up at Western, and I got on the Alaska ferry and went to Alaska for a couple weeks before school started. And I met this guy on the boat there. He's just like, yeah, you don't know anybody in town. Give me a call. We'll hang out sometime. So a month or so into the term, I was like, sure, let's hang out. Mm -hmm. His name was Andrew Bauer, and he became one of my best friends in the world but uh so he said like, yeah i'm gonna brew beer this weekend if you want to brew beer and i'm thinking we'll be like buckets and home brewing and stuff and this is out at the whatcom brewery in ferndale mm -hmm. and so the first time i ever made beer was five barrels yeah. so it was like <laughs> 10 kegs of beer the first time and i'm 22 <laughs> years old yeah. in a new town and winning um yeah i had a good time with that and so you know, a couple of year, a year and a half later, Andrew's graduated and leaving town, and he's like, "Hey," you know, I'd brewed with him a couple times since in that couple years, and mm -hmm. um, he's like, "Do you want to take over my job brewing beer?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." So that's the first. That's <laughs> my first memory of you is is you out at, at Lloyd's place, at yeah. Whatcom Brewery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was, um, you know, it was old dairy equipment. It was the original Kufner Brow <laughs> brewing system. Really? Which I think is the third brewery in Washington State. Wow. Um, beautiful, you know, brass and wood clad and like it was gorgeous for for what it was. Yeah. It was super archaic for modern brewing techniques and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I was just telling you, I used a, a plastic canoe paddle to aerate the wort mm -hmm. that was in a <laughs> horizontal open top for fermenter we would saran wrap to keep it airtight and, yeah um 
Yeah, so those first days, it was like hit or miss, you know, like in the winter and spring, we'd make good beer. And then summer and fall, it would always be a little bit sour. And mm -hmm. um, God, sour beer was only cool back 20 years right. ago. Right, yeah. You know? be, <laughs> be in a different position revolutionary. Yeah. But I just dumped those kegs out into the garden and started over. And I was taking organic chemistry um, co-currently with, with making beer, and I wasn't doing well. So I'd go to the professor and... So, you know, I got a D in your class. How do I, mm -hmm. what do I need to do to, to pass? And he said something one day and I was like, hang on, those are that equation of molecular enzyme reactions is in my beer book. Let me look it up. And I showed him my beer book and he just started explaining beer in nice. organic chemistry terms. And yeah, I got to put this in terms you can understand. Yeah, I got a B minus <laughs> in organic <laughs> chemistry and the beer was getting better. And, um, you know, that was so I moved here in 98. So that was probably 2000, 2001, right when I was about to graduate college. And um, I graduated from Huxley in, in 01. And I had this real like deep understanding of what it, what was going on in the beer process from the milling to the finishing product. And um, so I spent a lot of time and a lot of my own money trying to make upgrades to that equipment. We got a glycol chiller, a conical fermenter, um, you know, we ended up getting a plate and frame heat exchanger versus a submersion heat exchanger and um, really just took the beer. Beer was the vehicle that, that, you know, took my passion forward mm -hmm. with understanding science and also getting involved in the community. Like I'd go down to Boundary Bay and wash my kegs and I just said, Hey Skip, but can I wash my kegs and I'll do one of yours for every one of mine. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a real tight knit there community. Then. I'm trying to remember if I remember you coming in. I have, I had a, this like trailer that was the back end of a 1953 pickup truck. Uh -huh. So the big flare fenders and all the stuff. And I just had it mounded with those old Hoff Stevens kegs, <laughs> the, the pink banded ones, right? Not the blue ones, yeah. but I, uh, I painted the blue ones. Yeah. Some of them, horrible, so, horrible marine paint that like basically made you high all yeah, day. Yeah, all day. No confined space work necessary. That stuff was <laughs> yeah. heavy duty. But, yeah, so that's kind of how it all started. You know, like I just got into it by chance, and then that evolved into more than just by chance, and then that evolved into a full on passion and i knew yeah. lloyd never wanted to take the whatcom brewery to the next level we we kind of took it to the half level with the frankenstein pub mm -hmm. so then we had this like production facility that was in the barn behind his house and then we had the frankenstein pub which was the retail outlet which i also brewed 10 gallon batches there to call it a brewery mm -hmm. and um and it just was never really good we weren't going to have a sales team we weren't going to produce more than once or twice a month and so I, I just kind of put it, you know, I can't pay my college loans on free beer and free rent. So mm, yeah. I kind of hung that up and, and moved to Bend, Oregon where I, um, for so, so bit. just to clarify, yeah. you never, you never really traditionally homebrewed. You just jumped in. No, first batch was five <laughs> barrels. Yeah. All of that I learning curve and stuff was done. Uh-huh. Like on the, the big smallest scale. brewery in, uh, in Washington state. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess at the Frankenstein pub, I would consider that homebrewing. You know, that was the crab cooker yeah. and yeah, but you were gallons. doing it professionally. Doing it professionally. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So when, when I moved, I moved in after it was about 2000 and I don't even remember now, 2003, 
then I moved to Utah for one summer mm-hmm. and I homebrewed down there. And I remember trying to find a homebrew store and mm-hmm. get a couple parts that I needed and stuff because then you could only get three, two beer and still it right. was so, served warm. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this is You enough. had to have a, a membership. You had to have a private yeah, membership yeah, you, to do mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. I so, remember visiting Salt Lake. So that I did eventually end up homebrewing down there for a year or so. But then I worked a deal out with the therapy company I worked for that I could fly down, work for half the month, and then live up here and work for half the month and mm-hmm. kept the Watkin Brewery going for another couple of years. And it was in 2005 that I, I moved to Bend, Oregon. Okay. So in Bend, I did the therapy job, but then also was a sellerman at the Bend Brewing Company mm-hmm. under Tanya Cornett. And so for two years, I absorbed as much knowledge as I could. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's a fun it. little system too. Mm-hmm. Um, tiny space. Yeah. Tiny space. Learn to pack it in. And, and yeah. you can see that now at Stone's Throw that I'm like, have worked in these unique facilities and it shows in our unique brewery setup was like just packed in as tight yeah. as possible. Yeah. But yeah. That works good. Ben Brewing reminds me of big time. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. It's just like oh, a narrow hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just need enough room for tanks and wiggle around them. Yeah, totally. So, well, yeah, it's it's funny. You're the, definitely the first person I've talked to, possibly ever, who's just like, no, I just started brewing professionally and just kind of went from there. Uh, so some of, some of the other questions I was going to ask just don't really pertain. Yeah. Um, so I guess well, they we, still pertain. And I think the knowledge of brewing—that's one of the things that's, um, you know, it's like a cool international language almost like, yeah it doesn't matter where you're at the oh, yeah. process of making beer is the same process of sure making beer. i'm talking more questions of like you know like when did you go all grain like when did you oh, notice right. a, you know mm-hmm. i guess one is is uh still um retainable like at what what uh what point did you notice like a real jump in your skill level was there like a particular beer or a particular time uh, of your brewing career where you were like, okay, I got, I got this dialed. I can do this. It was definitely when I was taking the organic chemistry classes hmm. and, and the professor started explaining things. And I just, you know, as detailed as understanding the difference between an alpha and a beta amylase enzyme, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty technical for just somebody learning, learning beer, but then to actually, understand that difference and start to experiment okay does it happen at 122 degrees or is it 125 mm-hmm. degrees yeah, or the range you yeah. know and and being able to apply that to recipes and designing recipes i think that's where you know you're full on in the science you're full on in the artistic side and you're full on like starting to look at what are the variables i have control over and mm-hmm. and how do i what effect do i like better yeah. You know, there's definitely beers I make and I'm like, I'll just sample it for quality control. I don't need to drink that. I think that time frame, it was probably six to eight months to a year of saying, okay, this is how I've been doing it. This is what I want to happen. What do I need to change mm-hmm. to make it happen? As simple as, you know, switching from iodine to um, a caustic mm-hmm. for cleaning mm-hmm. or, um, cleaning certain things one way and other things with, with a different, you know, using a nitric, uh, an acid wash versus just a sodium hydroxide wash mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, Accomplish you know, different things. 
Yeah, and it has a big impact on on the, the product, and so yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump to Stone's throw. What uh, what point? When, when did that? When did you first start thinking about that? And what was the process from just you know, kernel of an idea to actually opening the doors? I mean, I remember you guys did everything DIY and the mm -hmm. design of the of the brewery and how you did that is super interesting and inspiring. I think, um, you know, it's just a beautiful space and it's just, I doubt there's any other brewery tap room and or actual brewery, especially a fermentation room. That's anything like stone's throw. Yeah. It's super unique for sure. Um, well, the idea first started as the exit of the Whatcom Brewery happened. I'm like, man, I love Bellingham. I'd love to be in a brewery situation up here. Um, you know, I lived in Fairhaven, and I knew that was a happening spot. Um, so that kind of just idea, you know, being 23, 4 years old, just out of college, and that's like you don't think about taking out a million dollar loan and, no. and doing projects like that. But I think um, that's where the seed was planted. And then through time and keeping my hands on the pulse of the brewing industry, just even washing kegs for um, McMinimins and Bend on the weekend one time, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just like, I just want to touch a tri-clamp. Can mm -hmm. I come in and help out? And yeah. they had bung-sided kegs and I'm familiar with those. So, you know, you make friends in the industry and then each each step along the way, the different people you meet and the different experiences you have kind of shape the idea of, of what I wanted. And I, you know, eventually knew that um, I wanted a brewery. I didn't want to be in packaging or like I thought I'd get a mobile canner for a while and that would help me build the revenue to have a brewery. And, mm -hmm. and I talked with Otis down at Craft Cans, I don't know. 10, 12 years ago and hung out with him for a day. And I'm like, yeah, this is a lot of where you got to manage all these cans and orders and parts. And there's a lot of like repair, a lot of liability repair too. and maintenance yeah. and liability and the I mean, scheduling. And something goes wrong with the bottling and there's a whole infected batch that happened at bottling. Yeah. So there, anyway, like the, the idea of having this brewery in Fairhaven really started to evolve more as I, I was actually living overseas. So I met my wife and, and Ben, her, she's South African, her visa expired. She got a teaching job in Malaysia and I went to Malaysia to think oh, I'll be there for a few months and mm -hmm. we'll figure out what's next. But I really like this girl. And, um, she's pretty cool. Yeah, she's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so from there I saw that Kalshan opened and was doing well. And then there's rumors of Wander and Aslan opening. And I was like, nobody's picked Fairhaven. The time is now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I lived in Bend just before the boom in Bend. And I had lived in Bellingham and the connection with Walking Brewery. I was like, you know, if we look at anywhere in the world, we went to South Africa and looked at breweries there. And their craft beer scenes probably 10 years behind us. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's definitely in the cards. Like, South Africa would be a good place to open a brewery. Mm -hmm. What other towns have? And I knew Stone's Throw from when I planted the seed back in, in Ferndale years before, it was just like, I want a brewery that's a stone's throw from recreation. I want it to be walking distance from neighborhoods and people's houses. I want it to be in this like active 
community hub. I think we all think about that when we think of a coffee shop or we think of like, you know, an airport lounge or something where it's like you can go in and it's casual. You can just sit in the corner on your laptop and do work. You can meet people and rendezvous over a beer and have a conversation. You can show up and play games. And just a multifunctional hub of of beer consumption. That's that was that was Stone's <laughs> Throws idea. A hub so, of beer consumption. Yeah. Like so, it, yeah. Um, and and that's when you walk into Stone's Throw, you see that and mm-hmm. you experience that from discussions of well, we wanted to have maps on the wall that people can pull down and talk about the trail they just hiked or biked or whatever, and and we have that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to look at. Okay, now we got the idea and and we got the gusto that we want to do it in Fairhaven. Came the, well, what properties are available and then the licensing and the TTB paperwork and all the stuff that took probably a year and a half to like nail down or two years. <clears throat> and so that all started satellite from Malaysia. I'm on Google Earth looking at buildings over 6,000 square feet and trying to figure out what we could use and need. And and then this little – and we were giving up on the idea just because there weren't any properties that were what we wanted. And then um, – Yeah, Bellingham doesn't really have a warehouse district that lends itself to a, a brewing <clears throat> block. No. Uh, it would be kind of cool if it did. But, it would be very cool. Uh, one day. <laughs> I think that that could happen just with how cooperative people are in this town mm-hmm. that you could we could see a a group cold storage or some something but mm-hmm. something will close somewhere and be available mm-hmm. yeah. so, but um yeah then we came across the property 1009 Larrabee and, and it was just a two-bedroom house on the fringe of the neighborhood and people are like you want to do what you know, and I'm like, well, it's surrounded by parking lots and it's zoned commercial and we can make it work. So, you know, yeah. we talked about pole barns and all kinds of other facilities. And then when you start getting into the permitting process and learning about how much things cost and how much, what you have to do with firewalls and all the other regulations, it was like, okay, let's use steel containers. Cause then in a couple of years, if we need to tear it down or upgrade, cause you look, do your homework. Every brewery that opens upgrades in the first two or three yeah. years. So we knew that going into it, and we bought extra tanks, and it's really paid off. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, sitting there with the engineer and the architect, and we just sit on the back porch of the house and dream it up. Like, hey, over there, we could do this, and yeah, and that. And then construction was about two years. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember. From- Member issues coming, yeah. coming up of yeah. all kinds. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like. People ask it all the time, well, is it just a pain in the ass to work with the city? And I'm like, not really. And my business partner did most of the like direct workings with them, but he came from working in San Diego doing a similar thing with solar mm-hmm. installations. And so really, he was real familiar that. with the what process. they need to see and how the diagrams get signed off and all that stuff. So yeah, Jack, um, Jack was a savior in terms of getting that part of the project completed and mm-hmm. done. And, yeah, definitely helped out um, with efficiency. But then again, you look at with everything being custom and DIY, it was just like, it's going to take longer and cost more. That's how custom mm-hmm. projects go. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I think our first few batches of beer were definitely, it's like somebody just hands you the keys to a 
new Porsche or something and mm-hmm. you're like, let's see how fast this thing can go and <laughs> yeah. like learning how it works and all the stuff. And yeah. So now yeah. three years in, we're just going to be maxed out on our production. Nice. So and what, what size is your system? 15? We're, we're a seven barrel system seven. Okay. And, and we're hoping to hit 700 barrels in 2019. Nice. So cheers to that. Yeah. That's a lot of beer for a small space. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, it, the way it's been, evolved and massaged into what it is and the community support behind us and everything is just like the timing was perfect the location is perfect yeah well, Fairhaven was starved for something like that i mean there's the archer ale house but it's an ale house it's not a brewery yeah and uh and it's a fun place to go but um you know to get beer that's brewed on site mm-hmm. um i mean as you know I, w- I work at amtrak and anytime the trains are late which never happens mm-hmm. uh or or people just have all day, you know, like, well, I'm catching the ferry in six hours or I got something yeah. to do. I'm like, well, if you're into beer, That's <laughs> go spot. up and uh-huh. take a right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, there's a brewery there. They're open. Yeah. Tell, tell them I said, hey. People do come in too. It's oh, yeah. awesome that you do that. Yeah. Thanks, David. Oh, it's yeah. really, uh, yeah. Well, you're uh, at that point, oh, you know, you're a local brewery. You know, just right there. from the ferry terminal. Stone, and the train from, no, it's a transportation hub. Mm-hmm. That's how the city <laughs> looks at it. <laughs> yeah port of transportation you know you're talking about the going through the process and and all of that i i have this belief and maybe it's just because i'm this way but i feel that brewers uh even the flightiest of brewers tend to be pretty detail and process oriented do you see yourself that way? And do you, in your experience, do you think other brewers are more like that? Or? I see if my wife's listening, definitely no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I describe my workbench as organized chaos. You know, yeah. it's like to anybody else, it's chaos. But for me, I know exactly where the number three screwdriver is. And I know exactly how much, um, you know, beer nut washers I have left in my backup supply kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, I would say that I'm a, not maybe even methodical in my organization, but I definitely have a rhythm and an understanding of the process to be able to say, yes, you do this, then this, then this, mm-hmm. and I want it done like this, and this is why. Yeah, and I think the very of nature of the job tends to dictate that people are like that because mm-hmm. you kind of have to be, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like cooking or something like that. Uh, One of the comments I have that I think is fun is, um, you know, my business partner, he is a very detail oriented guy and I'm, I'm detailed to a certain degree, but I'm more of like, I don't know, just the differences in how we look at things is pretty fun. And I remember having a conversation one day, he's like, it was after a big windstorm. And, mm-hmm. you know, here in Bellingham, Fairhaven, especially like the wind, just tornadoes around all the leaves yeah, and bike and there and back. Yeah. And he's like, do you think there's always going to be leaves in the brew house? And I'm like, more than likely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you go to any other brew house and, and they're in an enclosed, nice, confined space. We're in shipping containers with sliding doors. Like it's right. different, but I've also been to more than my fair share of breweries that you're like, whoa, <laughs> you can make beer here. Like doesn't seem like it's much off from a barn stable or something yeah, you know yeah and and that's maybe where i started was mm-hmm. in an old barn stable so i don't know <laughs> yeah. it's fun to see i like going into other breweries and you see how people store their parts and you see how people hang their hoses and and you just 
ask questions and learn and then you decide for yourself what you like to do yeah. and what works for your space and yeah. everything. I like my favorite part of going to breweries is seeing the little touches that the brewers come up with like uh -huh. the little DIY things, just little shortcuts. Yeah. You know, like, oh, look, I put this quick disconnect on this and it just makes this job so much easier. Like, right. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, why didn't, you know. You rebuild the manifold on the pump with an extra valve and that's what it's, you have a special use for it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. You just make, you create the things that you need. I've always loved the DIY nature of home brewing and, and even professional brewing. Mm -hmm. It's been fun. Well, the difference between that being that creative in the homebrew scale and the professional scale is only a couple zeros on the end of the price tag for the parts. Yeah. But yeah. you can go to the hardware store and get quick connects yeah. the same as you can get tri-clamp quick connects. Mm -hmm. Now, I definitely brew at home as if I, I treat it as if I was still brewing at Boundary or, mm -hmm. or brewing somewhere else. It's no difference in, to me. Mm -hmm. you know, the, and especially with all the ingredients and everything that you can get now, you can... Yeah, make whatever amazing. you want. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. I um, do wish there was more uh, delineation in what you can call an IPA, though. <laughs> I mean, just saying. I love IPAs as much as everybody else, but yeah. Nowadays, I have to ask questions when I go in because I'm I like a Northwest IPA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm but, with you. I know I I don't like it when I get an IPA and I don't realize that it's like a Northeastern IPA uh -huh. or the hazy IPA, which I'm not, not yeah. really a fan of. Um, that just means you're old school. <laughs> it just means I'm old. <laughs> well, I was saying old school, but yeah, old too. Yeah, yeah. We're, getting, we're not getting younger. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in my brain though, I'm still 15. Uh -huh. uh, speaking of being 15, do you remember the first beer that you ever had? I do. It was an Olympia can that I had stashed out in the woods <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, yeah, Olympia. Nice. I was um, I was just talking about this this morning with our staff. We were going back in time, and he's like, <laughs> um, "It was summer between seventh and eighth grade, so I must have been thirteen, mm -hmm. something like that." But yeah, me and a buddy, we'd take a couple at a time, but waited till we had three cans each saved up and forced ourselves to drink it because it was god awful nasty and warm I'm and sure. all the other yeah. stuff but we had well, a good time after that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah well conversely considering it probably wasn't that one what's the beer that flipped the switch for you when what do you remember the point where you were holding a beer in your hand and you were like wow it'd be cool if, if i knew how to do that um you know because i started it on yeah, a you big have a unique scale, story. Yeah. It was, um, I didn't have a beer that, um, I guess, turned me on to brewing professionally, but I definitely have like Bridgeport IPA in a bottle. Mm -hmm. Is what I remember, you know, back when Orchard Street was around and there was like a half a dozen or a dozen craft products on the shelf in the store, mm -hmm. that Bridgeport was one of those. And in Mirapon Pale Ale and the, um, the Black Butte Porter. Yeah, Black Butte so, Porter was a big one. So, like, I have these influences. Um, I remember when we started Stone's Throw, uh, Little Something mm -hmm. first came out, and I was like, I want our flagship IPA to taste like that. And if you have them side by side now, they don't really taste the same. Well, but it's, it's inspired the, by it. Exactly. I mean, that you're, you're not going to make the exact same mm -hmm. beer. 
to, even but if you want to. Inspired and and things like that. So I definitely do that. Um, the Rain Country Liquid Sunshine. It's won a couple medals at the Washington State level, and that beer's inspired by Miller High Life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's our our refrigeration guy's favorite beer is Miller High Life, and I'm like, geez, I want to impress this guy, but yeah, do I really have to make a High Life? <laughs> yeah, but those can be the most challenging beers to make. You know, just yeah. the super dumb, simple, like with nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and Bellingham really uh, lends itself with our water quality and all the stuff to to make really good lagers and light beers. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, we're pretty fortunate in our. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of brewing different beers, uh, do you have a favorite beer to brew, like either a specific beer or even a style where when, you, when you're formulating it and when you're sitting down, you're like, oh, yeah. So to create a brew, I mean, I love pale ales. And to find, Me like, too. It, I think I would just give myself the smash category as my favorite beer because, mm-hmm. um, again, it's not much to play with but there's a lot you can do with it with the water chemistry and temperatures and other things. So having a single malt and a single hop really, I think highlights the quality of the raw ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to play with that in the creative, like, Hey, what designing of a beer? Mm -hmm. Um, But to to answer your question, my favorite beer to make is a Porter or Cascadia dark ale. And it's mainly because when you're hosing down the floor, and well, all of it, you, the mash straight away, you just smell those roasty notes yeah. and it's just like, oh man, that smells so good. And yeah. I've got like, just a dry stout in there yeah. and it was so fun to just be like, yeah. Oh, so yeah. there's big heavy beers and, and then the dark IPAs, of course, cause you get the, the multi in the mash and the hops and the boil. And then also, um, the cleanup, mm-hmm. like you got to clean up every brew mm-hmm. and when you're cleaning up a dark brew, like just even hosing the grime out of the kettle it's just like i don't know i find it very rewarding yeah it's satisfying Uh because you can see where it is yeah visually pleasing Mm -hmm. so i like those those beers to make yeah um you know you you touched on water chemistry and that's something that i think is starting to get the traction that that it deserves but i mean i'll fully admit for most of my brewing career I didn't really worry about water chemistry that much other than mm-hmm. like, okay, throw some gypsum in there, you know, to mm-hmm. just soften it a little bit and then go from there. And now, well, I went kind of the other spectrum. I nerded out super hard for, uh, for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just kind of add a few things, you know, I'd gypsum, you know, calcium sulfate and then mm-hmm. calcium chloride. And then, uh, and then baking soda and then maybe mm-hmm. Epsom salts. And that's, that's about all I use. And I don't use a whole lot, but, you know, pH is important. And uh, a lot of time, especially older school uh, brewers, don't really worry about it. You know, yeah. as, long, as long as, you know, it's like, well, everything's turned out great. So why bother? Right. Do you do a lot of manipulation to your water specific to styles? Or um, do you just have a kind of a blanket treatment that you do? I do a blanket treatment basically depending on the style. Mm-hmm. So like for our pails and porters and IPAs, it's you know, this mixture, which is uh, just gypsum and calcium chloride. And mm-hmm. um, the main, one of the main things I do is preheat the water for the whole batch mm-hmm. a day and a half, two days before to off gas. And all the chlorine. Yeah. yeah. And, and I find that that really, 
is the biggest impactor of of that. Yeah. Um, I, I fil- just I filter my water, but I don't do it on. I don't have to do it on the scale that you do. Mm-hmm. And and then we just switched our house yeast to uh, English oh. yeast rather than the ten fifty six American mm-hmm. yeast, um, with the hopes of of entering some beers in the Washington Beer Festival. Yeah. Um, I'll be judging that. So nice, cool. <laughs> well, you'll you'll taste our our beers. We're gonna have hopefully, it. yeah, depending on the on mm-hmm. the categories I get. But yeah, Pale and Porter, I think, are the two were were they're the reason we switched the yeast, and it was just time to to get new yeast. So we thought, let's just play around. A few brewers have said that they've changed yeasts from one thing or another, mm-hmm. um, and actually, I think every time it's been from ten fifty six to something with a little more character. Mm-hmm. Um, in changing my yeast, I'm looking at how it performs with different salts and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about, okay, in the next batch, we'll add some baking soda yeah. just to give a little bit more like a Burton-esque. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to copy the Burton table right. water structure but uh, or chemistry, but mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we want it to be a little bit more English pronounced. So, um probably less chloride and more yeah more baking soda to Round, get that rounder mineral. and not punchier mm-hmm. yeah. yeah fruitier a little bit mm-hmm. so <laughs> and, and it's fun to uh to like for me as a brewer like oh yeah there's all these yeasts and now there's new yeast companies and there's clarifiers and agent like additive stuff and i kind of see that as marketing mm-hmm. like some companies marketed this product that world flock mm-hmm. it works great yeah but if you let that beer sit in a tank for two more weeks mm-hmm. you don't need it yeah. yeah and and do you have the tank time and and that kind of thing becomes part of the question but i think and a good i mean but also procedures like a good whirlpool and a good hot break mm-hmm. that's going to make a big difference in, oh yeah and how you you know mm-hmm. how, how much the protein flocks out right so so, so i'm i guess what i was going to say is i'm a bit of a purist when it comes to adjusting stuff too much mm-hmm. like i want to play with the temperature or I, I prefer to grow my own yeast and go down to the homebrew store and buy three smack packs and make a 10 gallon pitch and then that whole 10 gallon pitch is what i need for a seven barrel yeah, pitch. the starter for that and yeah. and so like i maybe it's because i'm thrifty and i don't want to spend two or three hundred bucks each time i need a new yeast strain it's more satisfying but I also that way too. like feel more ownership over mm-hmm. growing my own yeast and having house cultures. Yeah. Um, you know, I've read stories about ancient breweries in, in Europe that when they paint the brewery, they only paint half of it to let the natural mold and bacteria grow onto the new paint before they paint the other half. Yeah. And, um, it's just that kind of, I guess, philosophy of, of the cycle in the beer. And I think similarly with temperature, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, don't get scared if it beers a couple degrees too warm if it gradually got there mm-hmm. and it's the the influence of the outside environment or it gets a little too cold at night or whatever like i'll let the beer go through a cycle like that rather than trying to pin it on a number yeah and that's a factor of understanding your yeast too because some mm-hmm. yeasts if it, if you drop a degree or two it'll just stop mm-hmm. um but most don't right yeah. and it's you know you're also talking about thermal mass as mm-hmm. well and it's gonna it's gonna retain its temperature pretty well. Yeah, so. yeah, and insulated tanks definitely. But yeah, yeah, um, it's one of those. Uh, it comes back to a philosophy mm-hmm. of 
of what's your brew style. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I love brewing with Eric out at the North Fork or seeing how you know his tiny little brew space is kind of like my tiny little brew space, but it's totally different. Mm-hmm. But you see how we hang our hydrometers similarly or something like that. It's because <laughs> I hung out there a while ago and I liked it. Yeah. So I copied it into my own space. Yeah. And so, yeah, totally. You know, guys that work after me, they'll pick up things from me or I, I do from them. And it's just fun to have those debates of why we do what we do. Yeah. It's just creating your own little comfort cocoon mm-hmm. so that you can not have to focus on anything other than the creation of a good product. Right. Um, what is your favorite beer to drink? I mean, do you have a style or uh, or a specific beer even where you know if you have a rough day and you're just like, all right, damn it, I'm having one of these. Yeah, it's the Flat Penny Pale Ale. Yeah, nice. It's uh, it's Stone's Throw. Yeah, I like, I like beer. that beer. I'm a I'm a big Pale Ale fan mm-hmm. too. And some of that for me is the drinkability. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the beer industry, I drink five or six beers a day on yeah. average, and so to to be able to go the distance, I need a lighter beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also really like that, you know, it's, it's more predictable than IPAs now mm-hmm. because there's just so many IPAs out there and so many people, the consumer wants the IPA. So the brewer makes it because it sells. And, and I'm kind of like, well, if I want the consumer to have more pale ale or want more pale ale, I have to make it for them. Mm-hmm. So that's why we at Stone Star did the smash series and, yeah, and I have I pale ale on yeah. all the time. So, yeah. And if it's not pale ale or my, my pale ale, I would go for um, something in that, you know, from the Amber to uh, it, it really beer is one of those mood things, right? I, so it's I agree like, Oh, I've been chilly all day. I just want a grilled cheese and tomato soup and a porter Yeah. or, or um, you know, if it's hot summer day, like, I'll throw back lagers, like lawnmower beer, whatever you call it. And um, yeah, that's why I don't ask what's your favorite beer because as a brewer, you Mm -hmm. know exactly that. It's so subjective as to what Mm -hmm. is the mood and, you know, season, all that, all of that. So, but I do like to see the creativity in the different products out there at the market. Like Mm -hmm. I go to any new town or, country or wherever i am and i'll go through the beer aisle at the grocery store and just kind of browse what what's going on here. yeah it's overwhelming these mm-hmm. days and i just i can't keep up um i do want to come back to uh to that thought of um, what the consumer wants and what mm-hmm. the consumer needs so if i forget that okay. re- remind me but i want to ask one more question yeah. on this on this kind of theme um and it's one of my favorite questions because the answers have been all over the board but uh, do you have a guilty pleasure when it comes to drinking? And it can be anything. Guilty pleasure. I don't know if I feel guilty about it, but I like uh, two beers and a puff of weed. That's like my favorite high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, in terms of uh, a guilty pleasure, I think that um, it'd probably just be that, you know, one more please <laughs> you know <laughs> right. you're just like should i go home now i have one more yeah 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 i'm definitely um, yeah. definitely guilty of that uh-huh. and and you know for not 
I mean, I spend most of my time at Stone's Throw because I'm working or I'm sure. socializing yeah. or whatever. That's like my hub. So I don't have just to pay. a brewery or an owner. So yeah. you have things to do there. And I don't do have there. to pay for the beer there. So then it's, that's <laughs> oh, why it's pay, also not but... a guilty pleasure. But it's like if I was somewhere else, I'd probably be like, okay, it's time to go. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but, easy when you're there. But mm-hmm. you guys don't live at the at the house anymore, right? No, we moved out of there. Um, she's two and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's what I thought. It so a while. We run a B&B called Stone's Throw Guest House. Um, it's on Airbnb. Oh, nice. It's about 80 bucks a night. Airbnb sets the prices, so it depends on the other Airbnbs around. But it's a cute little queen bed in a bedroom with a kitchen in a living room and a pull-out couch in the living room. Nice. So I did not know here. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. The okay, downstairs. People take note for those of you who have uh, people visiting. <laughs> Want to stay at a brewery. Still yeah. throw a guest house. Nice. So. Sweet. Well, um, one of the other guilty pleasures, I guess I would say, is like when I see the line at the bar and I want another beer or it's like there's new beer in the cooler. Mm-hmm. I love going into the cooler and bringing people into the cooler and drinking right off the tanks. Yeah. Like there's something about it's just like as fresh as fresh gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a big fan. If, uh, if you see my beers constantly filled up, but you never see me in line, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been back there. With you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Nice. Uh, one of the things that I like to ask is, is what your thoughts as someone who's in the industry, what your thoughts are on the state of beer, uh, not only locally, but in the different regions of the U S mm. uh, like if you have a favorite region and I, I know that you're partial to the Pacific Northwest styles, but also what I wanted to come back and touch on is the whole, what the consumer wants and, what I feel is the chasing of trends. Mm-hmm. Some of them good, some of them bad. Glitter beer. I'm looking at you, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and just what you what you think about that whole, you know, give the customer what they want versus trying to make the best beer that you can. You sure, know? and they, I think you can definitely do both of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't like sours or saisons as very much, but I still try to do the best I can when sure. I do those yeah. beers. Um, and, and Stone's Throw has one and it's because the customer wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I had it my way, I wouldn't even worry about trying to kettle sour anything. It's extra time for something that's less desirable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, it's it's hard to, one, predict trends or know what people want. I think our culture has gravitated toward too many options, which as a business owner, I get frustrated with just, Hey man, you want the line to move faster, just give them less options and they can choose a or B and let's go yeah. to the next guy. It's a good point. Um, and, and so we only have six taps at stone's throw versus most people have 15 or 20 options on tap. And, and that's part of that reason, but it is also just logistics in space. Like you have that much more to offer. You have to have that much more space to store it. And, keep it lined up and all the stuff. So it's just, it becomes more difficult to manage. But I think like trends like coming up this summer, you're going to see more brute IPAs. Mm-hmm. And and the brute thing is this enzyme that takes the beer to a negative gravity and it's more champagne or effervescent. And, um, and I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I really like to see those trends. I think session IPAs were like that four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. 
I really like to see Session IPA come back, or the pale ale category. Yeah, to I was going to say Session Ale is just a fancy name for pale ale, essentially. Listen, yeah, hoppy pale, pale. ale, mm-hmm. hoppy blonde, whatever the style is, it's got turned into an IPA because those three letters mm-hmm. sell more for some reason. Yeah. Or easier, and that's one of those things where it's like, who's training who here? Is right. the customer training the producer, or is the producer training the customer? Because just to label it IPA, well, that's what everybody wants, so that's what we're calling it. Now it's diluting the definition of what it is. Mm-hmm. And and I think that you could say Hoppy Blonde to be more descriptive than Session IPA. Right. Or, you know, that's just one example of many that I could come up with. But I think that the balance of having a consumer market um, that's satisfied and what does it take to satisfy them is always something new. A lot of people get pissed off when they're – Flat penny pale ale is not on tap, or you mm-hmm. know that would be me. But, <laughs> <laughs> why isn't it? But I just go into the cooler myself. and get some. So yeah, but I think you know it's, it's you have regulars that are beer connoisseurs and they want their particular beer, and or they'll go somewhere else. And and being a, a producer of beer, being able to say that's fine, go yeah. somewhere else. Hope you come back next time. We'll have something different. But I think. You know, when I go to a tap room, I like to see what's on their rotating menu because I know I can get the their flagships other places or or more regularly. So I tend to to get into the seasonals and um, want to cater my brewing style toward that. Like in the fall, I'll do more of a copper beer or like a um, not not a brown, but it's still pale or I don't know. That's mm-hmm. when it's like. What is it that people want? They just want something cold and bubbly and <laughs> yeah. doesn't break the bank. Yeah. Which, you know, for me, that's the next evolution of that question is what's driving what? In Bellingham specifically, our market is, I don't think it's near saturation. And one of my, I guess, uh, assessing tools in that is, well, if there's still beer from Oregon on tap at most places you go, then there's there's more room for more local products. Right. Um, but but I don't know how accurate that would be. But I I do think that, um, you know, the way our economy is moving and the in, uh, minimum wage is increasing three times in three years, and the ripple effect on the price of beer is gonna ha is happening. Mm-hmm. And and we're gonna watch the five dollar beer go away in the next year. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And and um, it's really hard because as a brewer, I'm like, well, I just want everybody to be able to afford it and have fun and yeah it's always been the affordable drink yeah you know was the famous quote god loves us because he made beer and wants us to be happier with something like that right Mm -hmm. and so um you know i think that there's still room for three dollar beers all the time and and that then on the business side of things when you have employees and insurances and all the other bureaucracy stuff then yeah you have to afford it somehow yeah so well making lower alcohol beers you know less mm-hmm. product and then that way you can keep the price down um and like you were saying people can drink more of them which mm-hmm. is ultimately what you want yeah <clears throat> so so that's that's the hot debate of who's driving that train is it the customer or the consumer or is it the producer or is it the bureaucrats on the hill or right yeah who who, who is it because i think the the variety in the beer and stuff that's more of the marketing people saying, well, we can create something different and put it in front of anybody. Yeah. And and people, there's people out there that are going to just love anything new. 
and and then yeah it's just kind of fun debate yeah yeah totally um do you have uh do you have like a favorite brewery or like a brewing hero or anything like that or I think my favorite is Deschutes on the global scale, like on terms of stone's throws. Um, you know, I'm inspired by them the most. I like their products. I think that I try to make my products like you know, pale ale. I want it to be in the middle of the road of the pale ale category. Mm-hmm. Or the I keep saying pale ale all day. People are going <laughs> to think I only make pale ale. <laughs> but I the porter, say, you know, ales. it's just yeah. like if you. I think do something you can intentionally push a boundary, but if you're not trying to push a boundary, you should be in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And I think the shoots does that. Yeah. And, and I like their branding and I like their, their, um, I like everything about them. So, um, I never worked for them. I never, I don't shop for them that much, but mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of my main inspirations. Yeah. Black Butte Porter was definitely what I, uh, molded my, my first iteration of my own porter after uh-huh. it's it's moved beyond that but that was the specific um inspiration yeah. for it yeah so um sorry what was the question again do i have a favorite <laughs> beer or favorite brewery or favorite oh, just that? do you have any heroes or oh, anything yeah. like brewing heroes um yeah definitely like the ben brewing company and ta- working with tanya cornett there she's now at 10 barrel but mm-hmm. um you know I definitely took my knowledge to the next level mm-hmm. um, working for her mm-hmm. and being able to ask her questions and things like that. Um, I think of Skip Madsen very similarly, like mm-hmm. back in the first day, they'd be like, um, Skip, I don't know what's going on, but this is the numbers I got and what should I do and help, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and he would answer. And Yeah, the brewing community has always been super collaborative and that's mm-hmm. nice. And that was something that I was talking to Frank about uh, from Aslan it's always been that way and with more and more breweries coming up um you know is that going to change you know are yeah. people going to get a little bit more protective of like oh well you don't know what you're doing well maybe you shouldn't be doing this you know or oh this happened well you know there's books out there you yeah can, try it this way i next don't time. think it's going to come to that but I, I worry i mean we used to give boundary used to give our yeast to um Everybody. to guy um I can't remember his last name. Sorry, guy uh, from Port Townsend Brewing. Mm-hmm. You know, he used to come in, and you know, he wasn't in town. He wasn't direct competition, mm-hmm. and and at the time, I don't know that the yeast that we were using was readily available. Mm-hmm. And he brewed so infrequently that you know he would brew, but he didn't really have a way to keep the yeast alive. Right. But anyway. Yeah, I don't see it going that way. Like, I don't see it becoming closed yeah. until it becomes real proprietary. Like, um, you know, Will Kemper, he's got his coal sheets that he's smuggled over here from Cologne or wherever. And mm-hmm. I think that it's, um, you know, there's a lot of effort that went into that. And he wins medals with it every year. So it's just his house policy. We don't share that strain. Right. And And I totally get that. But I think, you know. If I had a pump seal break and I needed a backup, I would call them up straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. That's a good delineation of you know, procedural issues versus material issues. Yeah. yeah, and and I know that. I mean, just I borrowed stuff to um, Gruff recently, and I borrowed stuff from Aslan, and mm-hmm. you know, Colshin, and I have gone back and forth a few times on on some 
hops and things like that. And it's just like, Hey, I've got it in my inventory and we were friends enough to know what the other person has or needs, or, you know, you're going to go to your neighbor for a couple of eggs before you go to the store yeah, or yeah. what, what kind of thing is it? So yeah. well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause that's something that I was concerned about, but talking to you and other brewers, it seems like it's not even close to no. that being an issue. No. And that was one of the reasons that I loved the industry so much is, somebody would come over and just give you a hand with something. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, you need that? Sure. Be right over mm -hmm. you know, or come over and get it. You know? mm -hmm. And and there's definitely characters in the game now that aren't as open as, as other people. And I think, um, you know, some of that's their personal preference or how they operate their business. And, and I think some of it's, uh, yeah, I don't think any of it's secretive. Like mm -hmm. you're trying to hide something. It's more of just kind of like we do our thing and, we focus on us. So yeah, that's, that's how we do it. And other mm -hmm. people are like, well, we focus on everybody in the community, like Boundary Bay. Mm -hmm. They want, they want to watch everybody succeed. And I think that that theme of the rising tide floats all boats mm -hmm. is carried by all the breweries in town. Yeah. And we all have ex seen the beer tourism pick up in the last two years. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's happening. Nice. Um, let's do some, some fun questions uh, really quick. I like to ask people what their favorite ingredients are. Mm -hmm. And so what is your favorite grain to use? My favorite grain is the Copeland Pale Ale from Skag Valley Malting. Yeah, that's a nice one. I like yeah. that too. Yeah. What about uh, favorite hop? My favorite hop's Cascade, yeah. hands down. Yeah, that's, man, I... Almost every brewer has answered that. It's either that <laughs> or something spicy like Saz or Sterling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like those too. Yeah. What about uh, favorite yeast? You know, I'm on the fence on that right now because I'm trying out this new yeah, uh, transition. London yeah. Ale yeast. 1056 is probably the easiest to get your hands on. So, And it's always a great, great performer. Um, I used this BSI yeast last year. I don't know if I can remember the number catalog number, but it's basically a British ale yeast, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we were going to use them. And uh, it, man, it just would go through fermentation in like a day and a half, and it was wow. awesome. But it was super messy because every brew went out the top of the oh, wow. tube, and it was like, gosh, do I love this yeast or do I hate this yeast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I ended up. Just deciding it was, I have neutral opinion about it, but we went back to the 1056 just for the sake of cleaning the blow off buckets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, why is that deciding what yeast we want to use? Well, Practical realities a of, of a brewery. Yeah. When the cost to, you start buying a pitch of yeast and it's four or 500 bucks for a load. And it's like, don't want to be doing that every month. Yeah. Yeast management is probably mm -hmm. the biggest, the biggest shock to home brewers mm -hmm. becoming, uh, professional brewers like oh yeah i need to keep this yeast alive right like we're gonna brew all this beer i don't know how adam does it at rubens you know he's, mm -hmm. he makes so many different beers mm -hmm. and uh keeping all those cultures alive or just flat out spending all the money for mm -hmm. a new pitch every time that's, right that's uh it's impressive mm -hmm. <laughs> admirable what well, is about the timing i mean you yeah. can let the yeast fall asleep and wake it back up or condition it back to health and... yeah but you don't necessarily know how much of yeah. A, a certain thing you're going to go through. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I made this colch and nobody's drinking it. So right. I guess that's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you have to plan your brew schedule accordingly. That's the thing that's been the biggest struggle for me to learn as mm-hmm. we've gotten into the stone's throw production of things because yeah. we just made as much as we thought we needed and then we needed more and then now we're trying to like match the production with the sales and sales yeah. are up so it's a factory job up and at, at the end of it yeah inventory management mm-hmm. yeah how <laughs> much how many kegs and how many bags of grain do you need to have in the rotation at one time yeah yeah so, exactly uh, um well just uh kind of starting to wrap up um this is a question that I, I like to ask, and I, I repeat this every single one. So I'm sure anybody that listens to all these, especially if they listen to it back to back to back to back to back, uh, are like, oh, God, he's saying that again. But um, I always like to ask the question that I totally ripped off from a podcast called The Dinner Party Download. Um, tell us something that we don't know uh, about you. Um, you know, and it could be a particular brew day, an odd brewing habit that you have. Um, some little quirk of your system or just something completely random. Hmm. That's good. My wheels are spinning already. (laughs) Um, Gosh, what don't you know about me? Um, I mean, you already divulged a lot of that. One (laughs) thing that's unique about Stone's Throw is I think we're the only brewery in town with a cooling tower. Right. Most people uh, wouldn't know that. Yeah. Explain um, what that is. So the cooling tower, because I love basi- this idea. Basically, uh, for refrigeration, we all need refrigeration. You have the glycol, which would be the blood of a circulatory system, right? And it keeps everything cold. Well, basically, that glycol is taking the heat out of anything to keep it cold, and then you have to waste that heat. And you normally would see that in an alley with a big fan blowing and making noise. And Ours is just a little water trickle on the roof of the building, and it's a, it's a swamp cooler basically, but it's evaporative cooling, so it helps keep the machine cool enough to to operate at the levels it's set to and needs to. So, um, but the people in the B and B often be like, "Oh, there's a leak in the outside somewhere," and they'll call it <laughs> ten at night or whatever. Like, nope, that's normal. It's just, but it, it's cool little water feature noise. It just sounds like one of those like just walked into a spa or something right right nice um (laughs) so that's pretty cool fact about stone's throw um one of the fun facts about stone's throw is in the turn of the century that the address that we were on was a brothel oh really and so that's (laughs) That's kind of a fun fact and there's a sin and gin tour that that usually finishes at stone's throw in the summertime have you created any beers especially for that you know we've made a few and with the light of me too and all the other just are, we're very common sense people at Stone's Throw, and we know that it's <laughs> it's, it's okay to yeah. be rude and inappropriate behind the scenes and in public. Mm-hmm. We just try to keep it a little more professional. So, um, but yeah, we, we, I wanted to call one of the heavy IPAs the Nookie <laughs> or something like that, and I think we had that in our business plan too when we started. But we call it the Neighborhood IPA, right? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, the, the difference between home brewing and and running a business yeah. wanting people to keep showing up yeah yeah you have to uh can't please everybody but you can definitely behave yourself right yeah, yeah. so and it's good to cut loose too and have those fun times where you're sure. totally inappropriate and yeah oh yeah get carried away. of course it's a brewery after all mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know 
Yeah, I used yeah. to say. Yeah, Our, no, my delivery vehicles in 1982 Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Um, right the cool, coolest uh, <laughs> delivery rig in town. Yeah. Had five kegs in it is the most I've ever had in it. Full kegs. So <laughs> thing was floating down the road. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Nice. Do you have any advice for up and coming brewers or home brewers that want to go pro? I mean, is there any like nugget pearl of wisdom that you could pass on? Because your story is yeah. pretty unique. Yeah, it is unique. I think uh, what I would say is just show up. If you want to get into beer, just show up. Yeah. And and you'll learn even if you're just a fly on the wall watching or you can ask questions or somebody will do some one way or somebody else will do it another way. And, and you're like, wait a second. But I, I think, yeah, you know, the beer making happens everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. and and to invite yourself in or just to become a part of it and ask questions, I think is the key to um, having passion mm-hmm. and following your passion. So like, you know, I think people get into it cause they, they see this, this glamorous thing. Oh, the brewers, they're always drinking beer and they don't ever really have to work that much. Well, you know, come shovel the mash with me sometime. Yeah. I'll let you take it out to the street. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's... You know, we, we have that, uh, pallet of 40 50 pound bags show up i asked for help from patrons in the tap room to carry it upstairs mm-hmm. so um yeah, there's always work that needs to be done even if it's just hosing the floor down and yeah um, i think brewers appreciate the camaraderie and i think they appreciate the sharing the knowledge that they have so mm-hmm. um, yeah show up definitely just go say hey can i hang out sometime yeah well this has been super fun uh is there anything that uh that I didn't ask or that anything that you'd like to add? Well, I did come from a marketing meeting before this. So I'd like to put a plug in for our uh, Stone's Throw Brewery block party season is coming up. Our anniversary is going to be April 1st. And so on March 30th, I think that's the Saturday, um, we're going to have a block party. So we'll close the street off. It's free to the public. There'll yeah, be bands and food trucks all day. Um, and then ski to, uh, beer week is April 20th Something to 27th, like I think. I don't know. And I just, gonna... I, I just told, I, I was just talking to Brian the other day and he told me, I forgot, I forget. Yeah. So I think it's the 20th to 27th. And this year we were going to, we have hoped to, uh, land a home brewer from the Bellingham home brewers club to, uh, come do a collaboration brew and talk about their experience. Nice. So, yeah. That's a great um, idea. Just to, to have some event that can be focused around beer and, and, and we like to support the new guys and to have experiences. And I think that's what, what Bruin's all about. You need, need people to take over when, when your back gives out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I'm excited. One of the things I'm excited about coming up is the uh, Pink Boots International Women's mm-hmm. Day Brew. Yeah. Um, there's a special hop from YCH that's a proprietary blend for Pink Boots. So I think it's like five or six different hops that they pelletized all together in in the pellets and then uh so we'll have that brew coming up uh january 29th and 30th and the release date's going to be march 8th okay on international Women's day okay. and that's going to be a brute ipa so i've never done a brute beer yeah, and i'm excited nice. to try that out and jen tatter from colchon is going to be the lead so i just get to be the host and gain the knowledge myself in yeah, that place which is great. awesome that's great so well, hey, Tony, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks, Dave. Yeah, Appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. Sure. Nice. And scene. And scene, too.
For the record, Bellingham Beer Week is April 19th through the 27th of this year. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it blew my mind that Tony never homebrewed, but just accidentally jumped in right with five barrels. Pretty crazy. Uh, it's a lot of fun sitting down with him. It's always great to get to know these people better. Uh, I enjoy it, and I hope you do too. Be sure and mark your calendar for their anniversary coming up in April, and go get yourself some Flat Penny. Their block parties are always a hoot, so make sure you make that. Thanks again to Hoppus Real Estate and, of course, the Bellingham Tap Trail for making this podcast possible. We're always looking for feedback and suggestions, so keep those coming. There's more on the way, so stay tuned, and don't forget to give us all the stars and subscribe to us on your podcast generator of choice. It makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. I finally took a look at some of the statistics and, uh, and was stunned to see that we have downloads in Japan. Sweden, Korea, and other countries that I would have never guessed. Uh, I guess I never really thought of this as going very far outside of Bellingham. Uh, so that right there is crazy pants. You people are awesome. All right. Well, this podcast was engineered and produced by me, Dave Morales. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.